0: Hello, it's Paul Scott again with part two of my weekend podcast on the 8th of July 2023. For those people who don't know me, I'm a um, a, a small caps, UK small caps commentator and investor. I write the Stockopedia Small Cap Value Reports. And um, also during each week, I just jot down interesting news items and macro information and data on on my notepad and produce this uh, little weekly roundup of things that I thought were interesting. So now I looked into a Chinese e-commerce business called TEMU, T-E-M-U. This is really very interesting. Apparently it's achieving stunning growth. Um, It sells uh, a very wide range of products. You can look at their website, which I did, and all manner of household items, huge product range of all sorts of things, just in a sort of random jumble really on the bestsellers page at unbelievably low prices. And I thought, well, I'll mystery shop this. And it kept throwing more and more discounts at me. You know, things like order another £6 and you'll get £12 off. And you think, what? So well, of course, you've got, that means you're paying me to buy more stuff. So anyway, I ended up, ordering loads and loads and loads of things that actually look quite useful. Um, So I'm going to make a video when the box arrives, which I think will be later today. I'll make uh, my first Timu, I think they call it a haul. I don't know that I'm actually a social media influencer. Well, in fact, I'm definitely not. But social media influencers make a a video of their haul from Boohoo or um, ASOS or any of these companies like, like Timu. And uh, I'm going to do that to show you what sort of stuff you can get on it. Incredibly cheap. Now, apparently, according to press reports that was in the Telegraph, the Timu, how do they offer the prices so cheaply? Well, apparently they use brutal tactics with their staff and their suppliers. Um, They do reverse auctions. So they say, this is what we want, you know, a million podless headphones or whatever. And uh, all the Chinese factories just... um, bid the lowest they possibly can to get the business. I mean that t- to me sounds like um well it's just it's just business, isn't it? I mean you don't have to bid for the for the business if you don't want it. Anyway, it's running at a heavy loss. Apparently per thirty dollar typical order they make a twenty five dollar loss. Uh, I can't get my head around these numbers. So it's clearly very, very unfair competition that Timu is presumably trying to gain market share and drive its its competitors out of business. It's got some deep-pocketed holding company. And apparently China is sliding into disinflation. So producer prices in China are now falling, I'm told. So factories are desperate for the business. Now... Read all this through to how it might affect us in the UK. Well, who are Timu going to be taking business from? I think probably a lot of it will be Amazon. So it's not really a concern from my point of view as a UK small caps investor. I certainly don't think Sir Sandar will be losing market share, for example, to Timu um, because that's a, a, a more fashion-conscious, more upper-mid-range customer who won't be buying direct from Chinese factories, I would say. Now also, um, my updates from Timu I'm getting show me exactly you know, the timeline when I place the order from what happened next and it shows that it was picked from the Chinese factories, more or less the same day. Then it was air freighted into the UK. Um, so I mean, the the buying all this junk from from Timu is so environmentally damaging. Not only are you buying plasticky products that um, are probably going to end up in landfill. Within a year or two, but they're also being brought to the u k um by air, which of course is is pretty pretty horrendous, which air freight is actually a lot cheaper now than it was, so this makes supply chains a lot quicker so it's going to basically be about seven days from me placing the order to the chinese firms um companies um uh, Chinese company timu dispatching it by air to the u k and then it coming to to me through the group i think they're called every the and apparently they're doing these contracts at a loss as well, so what a bizarre situation. Anyway, you might like to look at Temu, T E M U, because I think this is going to be very big, and have some quite worrying consequent consequences. Now I know a lot of companies are talking, well, a lot of people are talking about onshoring, bringing production back to Europe, so that we're not reliant on these stretched supply lines. I think that's that's true for maybe more complex, higher-end products. But for cheap consumer goods, there's no reason to onshore them at all. So I think we're going to carry on, and certainly with Timu, it seems to me very obvious that we're going to carry on buying absolutely uh, millions of tonnes of consumer products from China because they'll probably continue to be the cheapest. So, uh, yeah, have a look at Timu and let me know what you think. Now, Sainsbury's said that motorists are having to pay more for fuel to keep food prices down. I thought that was quite interesting, that Sainsbury's... That was from, I think, an an interview with Sainsbury's CEO. Uh, So the supermarkets are jacking up fuel prices and margins in order to subsidise food prices, which is quite surprising. So as with all things, in order to bear down on inflation, it's nothing to do with the Bank of England, really. It's down to us to shop around, to decline to pay... Prices that are too high and to find the cheapest petrol and all the rest of it. And that's the way we can force inflation down. Now, Langton, uh, it's brilliant daily email. They flagged up the UK PMI indicator, which is the biggest forward-looking indicator. For services, the main part of the UK economy, it was 537 and that was down from 55.2 in May. But still, anything above 50 is still expansionary. Um, I've actually just contacted, um, I think it's S&P Global, to ask them if they, they would put me on their email list for PMI releases because I think I should be focusing on those direct from the source. Now, higher interest rates. i got an interesting anecdote for you here. My niece visited this week. She's 25. She's very bright, got a degree and a master's degree. Anyway, she's got some savings as well. She's very prudent. She she doesn't um, spend all her money each month. She saves into a pension and uh, an occupational pension. And she's also uh, run up a few thousand pounds worth of savings in a savings account. Anyway, the reason I mention her is because it transpired. She didn't understand anything about interest rates. Now, she's 25, so she would have been 10 when the zero interest rate environment began. So that's all her and her generation have ever known, that you don't get any interest on your savings. It's never occurred to her that she actually asked me, well, what's interest on savings? I said, well, they give you free money. What? She, the whole concept was completely alien to her. Anyway, I, I gave her a sort of 10-minute simple explanation of the fact that you shop around for the best interest rate um, through online websites and so on. And you find the highest rate. You check that they're part of the £85,000 government guaranteed scheme so that your money's not at risk. And then you you put your money there and you'll earn. She said, how much will I make on, say, £5,000? Well, I said, if you can get a 4%, then that's going to be, uh, uh, whatever that is, about 200 quid a year of interest receivable. And her eyes nearly popped out of her head. She says, what? I said, yeah, that's how it works. The banks um, pay savers three, four percent for the money, and then they re-lend that money out to borrowers at six, seven, eight percent, and that's how the banks make their money. So having to explain that to a highly educated twenty-five-year-old was surprised me a lot, actually. But I think over to you, really, all the uh, all the, the listeners for this—you're probably similar sort of age to me or, or older. Have a chat with your. Um, uh, children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and make sure they're fully aware of um, how interest rates work because we have to explain all this stuff from scratch to a generation who've never encountered it before. It's not their not their fault, this is just new to them. So let's all make sure we keep them informed and make sure they all um, shop around for the best deals and we can help them with that. So I think that's a nice practical way for us to help uh, the younger generations without it actually costing us anything. Now, something else, else that popped up. I did wonder why so many people always seem to resign so readily when anything uh, untoward or you know even allegations are made against them. Why do people not stand and fight? Why do they always seem to cave in and resign in all walks of life? Anyway, just never occurred to me before, but there was an article this week that said they'd do it to preserve their pension rights. If you... Um, if you uh, if you're fired if you're a bad lever from um various professions you could end up having your pensions restricted or forfeited or you know it could be generally problematic with regard to your pension whereas if you resign and negotiate a a, a sort of a compromise agreement where you're a good lever, there won't be any issues over that so i thought isn't that glaringly obvious it's just never occurred to me so i thought i'd i'd pass that on now, Chinese electric vehicles. This uh, several of the readers flagged this up. Apparently, there are twenty new brands being launched and going to launch EVs in the UK and in Europe. Now, this has got to be a massive threat, hasn't it, to the European economies, which are heavily dependent on vehicle manufacturers. And we have, a, you know, we still have a fair bit in the UK too, foreign-owned and foreign-managed. But that's fine, because they they can do it better than we can um so obviously the big nissan factory up in tyne and weir has been a, a godsend i wonder how all these european car makers are really going to be impacted impacted with this uh, this seemingly this coming huge wave of chinese um, uh, exports of electric vehicles which by all accounts are very good very capable vehicles And they're probably going to be coming here at prices that the European manufacturers may not be able to compete with. So I would imagine this could have quite a serious impact, impact in particular, on Germany's economy. Obviously, very heavily manufacturing and export-based. So that'll be interesting, won't it? Now, I noticed as well, last week or the week before, there were articles in the press about plunging sterling. And I thought, what? And it was because it dropped from 127 to 126 against the dollar. And can I just make a plea to uh, other journalists? You know, don't use words like plunging when sterling has dropped 0.8%. It's ridiculous. And this great long article about how all the all the structural reasons why sterling has, has dropped, plunged 1% less than 1%. Anyway, that move's completely reversed, and it's gone back up again to a higher level. It's now 128.4. Um, So now, presumably, we're going to get a load of hysterical articles about the dangers of Sterling being too strong. I think it's silly. Let's try and keep all the commentary a bit more grounded um, and avoid these, these daft words like plummeted or plunged. But anyway, I don't know why Sterling is strong. Maybe because our interest rates are higher than in other major economies, but I'd be worried if Sterling was weak, but it's not. It's actually quite strong. Uh, oh, I covered in the other podcasts Up, FTSE is down about 6% now. FTSE 100 down about 6% year-to-date. Mid-cap's about 7% year-to-date down. Now, those are only rough figures because I read them off the chart by sticking a ruler on my, on my up on my screen to estimate them. Um, AIM is down about 13% year-to-date, and it's down 17% from the peak, which we had in February so not just small caps now that are really suffering. It's rubbing off onto, onto the main indices in the UK as well. Market very, very difficult. It's flow of money, isn't it? It's not necessarily the outlook of the UK economy, and it's definitely not the outlook for the individual companies, mainly, I would say. A lot of small caps are, are trading okay. It's just money, flow of money, in and out, and for various reasons... Um, the the London market is having a lot of structural problems at the moment, attracting and retaining funds. People don't want to invest in UK shares for a variety of reasons, but that can change, and it, it always does change. So, uh, but I think we need to flush out, particularly in in the real micro caps. I think that area is just almost dead at the moment. I think you you must have a load of institutions who uh, would sell if they could sell. So I think you're going to have a, a, a really considerable length of time with quite big overhangs in a lot of the smallest shares, which provides us with our buying opportunities. If we're well-researched and we've really found hidden gems that are, are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, there will come a point where you're going to have, have a whole bunch of potential multi-baggers lined up on a plate for the picking. So I'm really quite excited about the outlook um, because you know I've seen market conditions like this before, And this reminds me of 2001, 2002. I know I've said that loads of times before, but it does. And then, you know, when everything starts, when the green, when those green shoots come through about the economy, you go on a big tear with the, with all the really bombed out small caps. And in the meantime, we're getting takeover bids. So um, uh, right now, so there are plenty of bids coming through, so... I, you know, at this level of value in smaller microcaps, I'm really quite excited about some of the valuations. I just think two years' time we'll be sitting on some really, really positive gains, I think, from where we are currently. And my top 20 share picks for the year, which I published in January, are up 6% year to date. So I'm very pleased with that. That's a 19% outperformance against AIM in six months. Pretty bloody good, I reckon. And my runners-up list, which was 12 additional stocks, is up 5%. Very similar. Big outperformance there as well. So these were just a a carefully curated list of value GARP shares. Pretty sensible um, things. I've had, I think, three profit warnings out of 20, which has been comfortably absorbed by outperformers um, in the others. So it just shows, even in a tough market, I think value GARP shares can be pretty resilient. Now, my speculative list, which I didn't actually flag up, I didn't publicise, but it was on the same spreadsheet on a different tab, that is down 1% year-to-date, and it's had some ridiculous movers in it. It had the Seraphim takeover bid in it, which was a 260% gain, but it also had WAN Disco in it, which I put down as a 100% loss, even though it looks like it's going to be a 96% loss, splitting hairs. So I think don't come for me... Don't come to me for speculative share ideas, is the lesson from that, because you need a strong constitution <laughs> to be able to cope with that sort of volatility. OK, um yeah, here we are. Now, I looked at the FTSE 250 index as well, the mid-caps. Now, that's down 25% from its peak in mid-2021. So that's a nasty bear move, isn't it? And that's on the mid-caps. AIM All shares down 42% from the mid-2021 highs. So although the year-to-date figures aren't particularly bad this year, we've got to remember it comes on top of a really lousy year last year as well. So things are very uh, tough, very grim for small-caps investors at the moment. But as I say, that's when you start to build your base and then you, you make your money back in the next bull run which can happen, you know, quite unexpectedly, actually. You know, if you're waiting for it all to become obvious, you'll miss the best part of the move. That's my view, anyway. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm not making any predictions of what's going to happen. I just know that bear markets do end, and then you get a lovely bull run at the end, once the bear market's finished. House prices, I've just been looking up some data on that. I think this is from Halifax or Nationwide, can't remember. Down 2.6%. In June versus 12 months earlier. Um, Now, interesting point a couple of the readers have made. House prices in real terms are actually falling substantially because... You've got 10% uh, inflation and, and close to that, 7-8% in wage growth in the last year. But house prices are not adjusted for inflation, they're nominal. So you've really effectively got, you, we've had in the last year, an 11 or 12% real terms drop in house prices, which we haven't really particularly noticed because the nominal valuations of our homes haven't fallen that much. I think that the, that figure is understated, that minus 2.6%. I have to say in Bournemouth, I mentioned this last week, but the prices are definitely down a lot. The asking prices anyway, I think, are down about 10%. Um, so you combine that with 10% uh, inflation, and that's a real terms drop in asking prices of houses of 20% in a year. I don't have a problem with that. I think it needed to happen. I think we need to make housing more affordable for for the younger generation coming in. And it doesn't make the slightest difference to me or to any other owner-occupier what the house is actually worth. If you've got no plans to move, who cares? It doesn't matter, does it? It's the interest rate if you've got a mortgage. That's all that matters. So anyway, there we are. Oh, hydrogen. I was reading a very interesting article on the BBC, I think it was, about hydrogen fuel i don't really know anything much about this but a very good article on the bbc website explaining it in simple terms where they're just saying it takes a, uses a lot of electricity to create hydrogen sorry to separate it out you know and make it a, in a pressurized container that can then um is then put on a heavy truck or, or apparently uh, the crash crash-resistant, these these pressurised canisters. And it then drives a, a converter, which generates electricity, which feeds the electric motors that drive the truck. And apparently this is several tonnes lighter than having to have enormous batteries on trucks. So the article in the BBC suggested that we might be able to get to a point where we can have hydrogen separation plants Next to a big wind farm, so it gets the energy from the wind farm to separate out the hydrogen, which can then be used to power uh, uh, you know our, our entire fleet of um of uh, commercial vehicles, which is about twenty percent of the uk's emissions. And of course, hydrogen uh, run lorries don't have any emissions other than I think is it water or air or something? No toxic pollutants whatsoever from them. So this is this could well be the future, couldn't it? So EVs for um, cars and light vans, and maybe hydrogen powered um, heavy vehicles. So um, I don't know. I thought that was very very interesting. Anyway, and apparently the haulage industry is worried at the moment as they don't know which technology to back. They don't know whether to go down the route of buying. I don't think there are any on the market at the moment anyway, but they're not sure whether to buy. it's going to be uh, electric trucks or whether to buy hydrogen trucks. And, of course, there's no infrastructure. For hydrogen as well and electric trucks would take too long to charge up but the battery technology is improving a lot as well isn't it toyota said this week that solid state batteries will be out in three years with double the range half the weight and they take 10 minutes to charge up so i think we're really in a very very exciting place right now and i'm dying to see where we end up but there's definitely a revolution in transport happening or begun already hasn't it so fascinating stuff. I love it. Oh, just to really summarise where we are, I've just made a list of bull and bear points. So I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. But the negatives are all very obvious. We know about, so I'll summarise that. Four negative main points at the moment. High inflation, obviously. Worries that the inflation is going to be persistent. That's the current story. Um, in the UK, more persistent than elsewhere. I don't personally buy that. I think let's see a few more data punt points in the following few months, and you might see uh, it trending down. The Bank of England said it's going to trend down over the next six months quite significantly, so let's let's reserve judgment until we've got some more data. So that was point one on the negatives. Uh, aggressive interest rate rises, obviously that's a, a very serious negative, although it's good for savers. Savers are going to get paid interest, so shop around for the best deal, but bad for borrowers as the fixed rates expire and obviously companies that haven't hedged or or capped or swapped their interest rate exposure highly geared companies are probably going to be the main um victims of this aren't they so we've got to be really careful uh at avoiding i think shares where they've got exceptionally high gearing they could be the you know the the next wave of emergency placings or insolvencies um i generally avoid geared companies anyway so it's not a problem for me Third bullet point on the negatives, uh, energy uncertainty. Although wholesale energy prices have come down a lot, hasn't really fed into household bills much yet. Um, And people are saying, look, you know, the Ukraine war is still going on. Who knows what more mischief Putin might uh, bring on us over the winter? You know, if it's a harsh winter and gas supplies run short, I don't know, look, way beyond my pay grade, but I'm just flagging it as a... Potential negative stroke uncertainty on energy. We're not out of the woods on that yet, are we? And then finally, I've put investor sentiment is terrible, particularly for small caps. So I think the equities markets definitely have structural problems at the moment, um, particularly in the UK. Um, You know, a lot of the readers are saying, look, I'd rather just put my money in gilts or... um, Get a tax-free return, no capital gains on gilts. If interest rates come down, that's fine. My gilts will actually go up in value. Uh, I've locked into a good yield, so I think that's right. The the gilts are rather rather too large for, for a lot of smaller investors. But, you know, equities now have much, much stiffer competition. So equities should be cheaper. So I don't think I'm expecting values to rebound to where they were when interest rates were zero I think we've got to mentally reset to lower valuations on equities that's assuming that interest rates don't go right back down to zero and QE happens all over again which some people think it might if that happens then we've really got to you know, switch mindset again, haven't we? So I think let's just keep our uh, open-minded about all of this. We don't know what's going to happen. And I think if you stick rigidly to an absolute and convinced your absolute certainty about what the future holds on the economy, that could be quite dangerous. We've got to be nimble and um, open-minded, I think. Banking crisis, that's all gone quiet, hasn't it? So, um, again... um, that's quite encouraging but uh, you know who knows what other aftershocks there might be water industry uh we're still getting one or two stories about that coming through um it's really it's really a, well it's a highly indebted industry isn't it that's um and it's got very very high demands on its capex because of all the leaks and all the terrible situation with this sewage so um capex hungry and highly indebted Looks horrible to me. The water industry. Hopefully, households shouldn't, um, and the taxpayer, uh, should, you know, shouldn't shouldn't have um, too many problems with that. We hope. And then commercial property is obviously another sector, isn't it? That I'm worried about because of the high indebtedness, difficulties in rolling over the debt. Oh, did I cover my positive bullet points? I don't think I did. I did the four negatives, didn't I? So high inflation, possibly persistent. Um, Aggressive interest rate rises. These are the negatives. Uh, Energy uncertainty and terrible investor sentiment. So what about the positives? Well, I've got four positives as well. Number one on inflation. Bank of England is quite adamant in that report I covered two weeks ago, really repeatedly saying inflation will fall. Um, and we saw some interesting... We're getting corroboration of that from quite a few individual companies. For example, Wednesday, uh, they were very interesting. That's the fertilisers, uh, agricultural feeds thing, said, you know, prices are now normalising. So that will feed through into cheaper food in due course. Um, and lots lots and lots and lots of companies I report on are saying that inflation is now, is now easing. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean prices are falling, but it does mean that... Um, The rate of increase is is slowing. You've got your freight costs now much, much cheaper. Factory gate prices um, easing. Um, Availability of uh, semiconductors is now returning to normal and could turn into a glut. You know, all the things that caused inflation to go up um, on the supply side, which I think was the main reason for it, are now correcting themselves. So I do think we can actually be quietly positive about uh, the outlook for inflation. Um, Now, second positive... Bullet point is that the squeeze on household incomes should be ending in about six months or so because inflation will be back down to maybe well say five percent that seems realistic. Well, you know people's pay rises will will, will inevitably moderate, won't they? Probably down to about the same level. So you know I don't think you'll have any further squeeze on household incomes maybe from about six months onwards because employees have got pricing power because of the tight labour market and I know that has negative effects for the Bank of England and so on, but um, the household squeeze, I think, on on household incomes, at least we're we're possibly at the beginning of the end on that, I think. Uh, Bullet point number three on the positive, again, low unemployment is only 3.8% in the UK, exceptionally low by historical standards, and uh, I think only the Netherlands in Europe has a lower rate, we're significantly lower on unemployment than other European economies, which is good news. And much improved, a final positive bullet point, much improved consumer confidence. I had another look at the, uh, what is it, GKF, I think, website, and really quite remarkable recovery in consumer confidence. Still weak, but dramatically improved over the last nine months or so, which uh, says to me that I don't think it's a nailed uncertainty that we're going to go into, a, into an economic recession or even a, you know, even a slump we could we could get through this i'm not saying we will i'm just saying it's one of several possible outcomes and at this stage we don't know let's all just admit we don't know what's going to happen but i i've just got all this you know contrasting bull and bear points for me it doesn't feel like we're going into an absolute disaster i think it feels to me like we are coping all right overall with tough conditions, but we really need to see an end to these interest rate rises. I think there's a a very real chance now that um, the Bank of England and the the Fed could be just on the verge of tipping things over into creating um, a really horrible economic situation. But if they do that, then of course they'll come straight back down to zero again. So actually that could be... Maybe we should just take the pain in the short term and then look forward to equities re-rating with a return to zero interest rates, I don't know. There's all sorts of. It could fan out in any number of ways, and we don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, keeping an eye on the, um, on all the news and views. So I hope you find that interesting. And chuck your ideas into the pot. Love to hear from you uh, on Stockopedia And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye for now. Bye.